count to three. Come with me and you'll be in a world of... Do, re, mi, fa, so, la, ti, do. You have found Daniel Donato's Lost Highway. That lost highway. Yes. In life, there are two kinds of regret that happen. There's a regret of action and regret of inaction. And here on episode 33 of the Lost Highway podcast, yee-haw, y'all. I want to tell y'all that I, if I sat down, which I did, <laughs> as a 25-and-a-half-year-old man in the year of 2020, I can say that all of the regrets that I've had in life honestly have been regrets from inaction, regret from not saying it, regret from not taking the chance, regret from afraid of failing and never actually have taken the chance to fail. And David Meltzer, who was on my podcast a little while ago, has this great concept where it's like, okay, say my goal is to sell out the Ryman. Well, how many gigs do I have to play in between November 2020 and whenever that day is at the Ryman? And if I was able to know that number, I would happily traverse with positivity, patience, and persistence through every single gig with a big old smile on my face. But that's the really kind of unfucking fair part of this whole life simulation is that it never tells you how long or how many trials that we have. So there's this weird formula that has to come into our operative system, which is belief and, and faith in the idea, not false hope, as wisely stated by Mr. Dave Grohl. Um, by the way, I d- actually met Dave Grohl once at, at um, my friend Chris Shiflett. Um, I met, he got me into a... Um, the Ryman, actually, ironically enough, I want to sell out the Ryman, and they were playing the Ryman on a Halloween show years ago. And uh, I went backstage and I got to meet uh, Dave Grohl, and uh, he just literally punched his fist into a pumpkin, took it out, had seeds all over it, and then he went, Wazza! And then punched me in the fist with it. And then Zach Brown was right next to me, and Zach Brown was like vaping on something, and he goes, I asked him, dude, what is that? And this was before Joel. He goes, oh, it's a vape. He goes, it's pineapple flavored. And I go, man, I love SpongeBob SquarePants. And then he laughed. And then he uh, he offered me some. So actually, I shared a vape pen with Zach Brown once that was pineapple flavored. Life is a simulation. Life is strange. That's the point. Here's where I'm at. I think with where, if you're a musician or if you're a person who's a creative and, if, and you're trying to put out something into the world that brings value to a niche fan base that follow you. I think you got to be really honest with yourself and say the really the only thing, truly, the really the only thing that's stopping you is regret of inaction. Just go out there and try. Like go out there and fail. Go out there and succeed. It's about the doing. It's about the going upwards the hill. It's not the western mirage of of attaining the singular thing that you think is going to make you happy that's often probably just based on some weird projection of your ego go out there fail fucking achieve it that's where i'm at today in november of 2020 i hope y'all are enjoying this new cosmic country record um i hope y'all are staying patient persistent and positive again thank you so much for listening to the podcast please be sure to support us on patreon YouTube, Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, all the places. 
Y'all stay cosmic. It's going down in the history of my career that there is no other place in the world that is more important to me than Robert's Western World. Um, Robert's Western World is where I discovered my love for country music. It's where I discovered uh, the Don Kelly Band, which is one of the um, the most premier bands that have ever played in Nashville on a regular basis that have curated some of the best guitar players this world's ever seen. And Robert's Western World exists in this way that doesn't quite make a lot of sense. It, it vibrates at this level of authenticity that's just like the Ryman Auditorium. And actually, the back door of the Ryman leads into the back door of Roberts directly. It's about a 20-foot difference. Um, it's literally wild. So my theory is that it's radiation poisoning. <laughs> from, the, from the mother church of country music, Roberts Western World is known as the home of traditional country music. So... It's weird, there's this one pocket of these two buildings that are responsible for so much of the greatness that we find in love within country music. And that has inspired me since I discovered that place when I was 14 years old, after I was busking one day and snuck in there past 6 p.m., past a door guy and found the Don Kelly band, discovered country music, discovered bluegrass music, dedicated my life to it. And here we are 11 years later on the Cosmic Country Highway. Uh, and uh, it's a beautiful thing. Turns out that there's one gentleman that really is responsible for not only recognizing the importance of Robert's Western World, but uh, being the curator of it and being the proprietor and being the man who defends it all. And he really is a hero of mine, and he has been since the day I met him. And his name is Jesse Lee Jones. And he invited me over to his house in East Nashville uh, in his garage that was full of like 30 plus vehicles, all of which were from Europe. And, um, you can actually kind of hear in our conversation, he's having several of them like worked on, engines worked on, front hoods worked on. Uh, Jesse is an American dream story. It's endlessly inspiring. And I cannot wait for you guys to discover the power in the hero and somehow still the regular Joe. That is Jesse Lee Jones. One of my absolute heroes. This was one of the most inspiring podcasts that I've ever had a chance to be a part of. Um, with no further ado, the owner and proprietor of Robert's Western World, the founder of Brazil Billy, Mr. Jesse Lee Jones. Thanks for doing this. Sure. Well, right on. Um, so the reason why I wanted to do this is because I started down playing on Broadway 10 years ago mm -hmm. and Roberts has remained very tastefully unchanged mm -hmm. in some ways. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to kind of get your thoughts on why you think that is, was that intentional, and kind of the story of, of how that all came to be in your life. Because from the outside stories that I've known, it seems incredibly fascinating and, mm -hmm. and very heroic to some mm -hmm. degree. So I'd love to, to hear some of that. Well, um, why don't we start with some specifics? Sure. Sounds like you, you want to cover a, a long period of time there. Uh, right, sounds like. Uh, the first thing, what would be the first thing? The first thing is, how is Roberts unchanged? How do, how do you make that happen? How do you keep that same vibe in a world where Jason Aldean owns his own bar, Luke Bryan owns his own bar? It's still because, about country music. Well, what it is, is very simple. You don't fix what it ain't broke. It's very real. Mm -hmm. That's it. Wow. So do you, uh, I'm sure you guys are making enough money. Like if you wanted to, you could expand Roberts up to the third floor. Mm -hmm. You could do all those things, but you choose not to. No. Because it's not broken. 
No, it's not broken. I mean, Roberts Roberts can't be changed. <clears throat> Roberts is uh, it's the Holy Grail. Roberts is like, uh, you know, honestly, outside of the cleaning up of the place and being run like a business now because I just have to, uh, Roberts is still pretty much what it was 20-some years ago when That's Robert right. had it. <clears throat> Robert you know, Moore? Robert Moore. Right. Yeah. I started playing music there in 1994. Well, Brazil Billy was formed in 95. So, uh, and Brazil Billy was your brainchild. That was your vision. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I used to come to Roberts to listen to BR549 like everybody else back in the old right. days. Before you know? hipsters were around. Yeah, exactly. You know, uh, back when I first came to town, it was a very different place to be. How so? Very, very different. Well, for instance, uh, in 1974, when the Grand Ole Opry moved out of the Ryman, yeah. you know that pretty much that was the that was the uh, the blood that ran through the, <sighs> ran through the vein of you know that uh, area of town, if even you financially. Absolutely. Wow. I mean, you know, if you look at pictures of the, the you know the 40s and the 50s and the 60s, you know, you would you would have lines of people going around the block, and I. I don't mean like one or two people. There would be like five people lines. It's like there it was. There's no such thing. But what I'm saying is, it was unorganized. But because everybody wanted to be there first to get to the first yeah. seats and you know the best seats in the house. And but it was like the sidewalks. They were like packed with people going all around the block. That was that was, in my opinion, that was what capped downtown. They're going. That's the historic district of Lower. Broadway, the 400 block of Lower Broadway. The 400 yeah, block. Yeah, that's the historic block. Because, you see, you have the Ryman Auditorium directly behind us. Mm -hmm. See, behind the, So, if you're driving Lower Broadway, you see the front of the buildings. You know, you see Legends and all the places that are there right now, and Roberts and, and Jack's Barbecue and all of that. Mm -hmm. But what I myself didn't know when I first came to natural was that those buildings right behind those buildings is the Ryman Alley yeah. which is the only thing that separates those buildings from the Ryman Auditorium mm. the historic mother church of country music yeah. so once you know in 1974 once the uh, Grand Ole Opry moved away mm. yeah downtown went down you know it was a, it was a huge fall mm. down spiral Whoa. Yes. Roberts so was there, though, the whole well, time? Well, no, it wasn't. No. Oh, it wasn't? No, no. Uh, when I first came to town, the only place, I'll tell you a story real quick. Yeah. That's really interesting. You got time. Because <clears throat> I was talking to my friend, David McCormick, the owner of Ernest Cyber Record Shop, right? We went to dinner this past Sunday, just two, two nights ago. And anyway, and uh, I was talking about that, and I was saying to him, David, you know the story. I mean, you know the history. You know, in 1984, I came to the United States of America, ended up in Peoria, Illinois. And from there, in 1985, I decided to drive down south to see what was here. What right? kind of car did you have? I had a 19... The, the car that I drove down here was a 1971 Plymouth Fury. That's a great car. Yeah, like the Blues Brothers car. Yeah. yeah, but it was brown and it was, you know, it was eaten up by rust big time. I love that. Yeah. yeah. And it was, I had a, I had a bad tire at the time. 
<clears throat> excuse me, sure. at the time I didn't know uh, as much about cars as I as I, I do a little bit now. But you know, at the time, man, I had a wobble on that car that was awful. Mm. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and I suffer from motion sickness. You know, even back then, mm. and it was like that thing was like driving like <laughs> going left, right, left, and right, up and down. You know. But she made it. She made it all the way down here. I don't know why. I really can't tell you why. But I drove down from Illinois, and I was on 24, so I came to town here. I passed Clarksville. The next big town was Nashville. And I drove down um, 65 South a little bit and took a ride over there going 40 towards Memphis. Mm -hmm. And then two exits— Odyssey, yeah, two exits. I took the second exit, and it went, you know, it went around, and then I, I don't know why I was doing that. I had no idea. Right. I was completely lost, and um, mm. and then I'm headed towards, you know, because the this, this interstates they circle around town. It's weird. Yeah, yeah. So you know, there was sixty five, but it was forty, and it was, you know, is it twenty four? I mean, I don't know where I'm at. I've living here for twenty years. I'm still confused. Right. So. Man, I just took the exit that said Broadway. Come on, man. Yeah. I took this exit. It said Broadway. I came up to the bridge there. And instead of going right, I went left. So I went over 65, 40, whatever that is. And just up ahead, I saw this big building, this real beautiful building, which is Union Station. Of course. You know, I didn't know anything about it. So I just drove up. And then it starts going downhill. And as I was going downhill, I was driving really, really slow. I remember it being very, very cold. And it was the middle of the night. And uh, it might have been like three or four in the morning, you know. So there wasn't much activity, nothing really going on. So as I came down lower broad, I saw this big brick church over there on the left. Come on. And uh, the other thing that I saw ahead of me was like a sign that was, you know, it was moving mm-hmm. around like that. And it said, Ernest Up Record Shop. I had no idea what that was. Oh, really? No. So I drove it, you know, I drove down. When I got on Lower Broadway, that's the 400 block. I didn't know nothing about that. I stopped my old car right in front of Ernest Up Record Shop. When you used to be able to park your car there. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, this is 1985. Of course. So anyway, so I parked right there, and I I just happened to look. I glanced over at the shop. It got my attention. And then all of a sudden, I looked left. I looked across the street directly at the building where Roberts is. And it was a place called Lynn Liquors Store. Oh, the liquor store. Right. And I looked at it, and I was like, Wow, I was so overwhelmed, to be honest with you. I believe I I cried a little bit, and I told myself I'm not ready for this. This is not the time. And I shifted into gear. Next thing I know, I ended up in Atlanta, Georgia, and that's where I stayed. Get out of here. Mm-hmm. What? How mm-hmm. old were you? I was 22. You were a child. Wow. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. You weren't ready for this. What do you mean? I don't know. You were afraid, though. I was very afraid. I was very intimidated. About? Well, you know, I had heard of Nashville, you know, the, the the birthplace of country music, which 
it's not really the birthplace of country Bristol music. Bristol kind of that, is, right, right, yeah. right. But it's the place that put, you know, country music on a map. Come I on. Mean, this is Music City USA. This is where the, you know, the record labels came to and, you know, the history. And so many wonderful recordings were, were done here and yes. so many engineers and the Bradleys and et cetera, yeah. et cetera. So I, at the time, I had heard very little about that. I was just as unprepared to be here then as I was coming to America to begin with. What made you come here? Music. You wanted to be an artist? Yes, I wanted to write songs. I wanted to I wanted to sing. I wanted to play the guitar. But bottom line, mm. I was I was looking for I was looking for myself. I was looking for a place where I could be myself because I was not myself at all. I didn't I didn't have any respect for myself. I've come from a very troubled childhood, so mm. you know, I was just a I've always been sort of a drifter and uh, you know, uh I just wanted out. I wanted out, I wanted something different. And you know, uh America, why America? Well, I don't know, maybe because of the movies. Right. I don't know. Maybe because I, I've, you know, I, as a child, I watched movies and, you know, Hollywood and. Come on. I don't know. I don't know, man. It's the cars, maybe. I love the cars that I used to see in those movies. Yeah. And that's why today I have some of them. You have 36? Mm hmm. But you see, uh, when I was growing up, I mean, in the 80s, it was like, uh, shoot, man, you know, I watched these movies and there'd be all these 70s cars there. You know, so I was fascinated with those cars. So that might might have been a might have been uh, one of the reasons. Uh, also, um, there was a a family a family that were members of my church in Brazil. Oh come on! But they were very popular in America, called the Osmonds, and they lived outside in Provo, Utah. Well, I don't know where Provo, Utah is, man. But anyway, <laughs> so. I just packed my guitar and my luggage. Do you remember a guitar? Yeah, I had a guitar when I came. Do you know what it was? A Janini. Really? Yes. Okay, those are cool guitars. Yes. Yeah, right I had on. A Giannini. So, so what happened was when I first came to America, you know, I was obviously, ever I told you, very unprepared, but I had the desire to be here. Did you have the bravery? Yes, I guess. I I wouldn't do it anymore today. I don't think I could <laughs> repeat that little. It was a, you know, just the story of getting the visa, facing the American consul and wow. talking to them about my dreams and stuff. And the reason that he even gave me a visa, I don't even know why he did it. So you're having to tell them what your dreams and ambitions yeah, are. Yeah, man, because yeah, my visa was denied. That takes a lot to, to, to have the dreams to come here, stand in, stand in front of the council. Well, we see. Yeah, exactly. So it's just like if you, if you wanted to go to Italy or Brazil, <laughs> whatever. You don't have to have a visa, mm -hmm. right? Nowadays. But let's say that you did. Mm -hmm. And um, let's say that you grew up here, and uh, but you've seen a lot of samba music for whatever reason. You got exposed to that. Of course. And uh, let's say you've, you were exposed to some Brazilian jazz and Brazilian pop music, and uh, you grew up watching this stuff or seeing movies, or and you have this desire to go to Rio, let's say. Right? Yeah. Let's just say that. But, you know, a lot of people also go to Rio. Mm. 
A lot of people goes to Brazil. <laughs> and in order to get there, you have to have a visa, you have to have a reason, blah, 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 even if you go as a tourist, whatever. Well, it's just the opposite of that. It was me coming to America. Yeah. But let's say that your visa... That's <laughs> <laughs> just fine, I won't pick it up. So Too anyway, much. so let's just say that your visa was denied, <laughs> you know? That's crazy. Yeah, because they don't know, well, what's your point? I mean, you're coming here for, you know, who are you? It's, are you going to be staying legally here? Rah, 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 rah. Well, right? come on. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, it is what it is. I get it. So anyway, so when you yeah. go and your visa is denied and you say to your friends, ah, oh, man, you know, they're saying to you, hey, you're not going to go to Rio anymore? And you say, well, I can't, man. My visa was denied. Just forget about it. Forget about it. Nothing. <sighs> you're going to go in there. And you say, no. What do you mean I'm going to go in there? So they, Whoa. they make, they, you know, no appointment. Come on. No appointment. But just to give you an idea of how, where my head was in their heads. So I, I got on the bus and I drove to this other state and I got to the, to the American consulate and I asked to speak with the consul. And they were like, who the hell are you? Yeah. I mean, you don't have an appointment, do you? I mean, yeah. what's going on? So long story short, man, so somehow, by the grace of God, I don't know what yeah. happened, he sees me and he asked me why I want to come to America, blah, blah, blah. And you tell him? I told him. I told him the truth. And he said, well, I, you're not a liar. That's that's a very <laughs> important thing, you know. <laughs> And, and you have some dreams. And wow. I remember, can't remember exactly how the whole conversation went, but bottom line was this. He says, he's called his secretary and said, go ahead and put him, you know, give him his visa. Oh, Let him go. And, and What was that feeling like? Do you, can you recall I, that? Uh, well, that was a feeling of uh, awe. <laughs> I, don't know. I bet just I was a like, what? And uh, yeah, I, I, I even remember him saying, don't you ever stay in America illegally? Don't you disappoint? Well, that must have hit you hard yeah, hearing yeah. that. Yeah. Don't disappoint. Yeah. That means don't be lazy. Don't and do the do, wrong thing. Do, do the wrong thing. Whoa. Do you think that's lit a fire under your ass all these years? Yeah, as I think that was part of the reason why, you know, this whole bed of you know, sometimes you say, you know, you make your own bed, you know, you have to sleep and, and uh, sleep on your own bed. And I think that that was part of that. You know, my I was making my bed, really. Come on. Yeah. You're crafting your own vision, yeah. your own world. So, so there I was. I came over here and I landed in Miami, Florida. Oh. I flew all night on a... You know, 747, the queen of the skies. I love those planes, man. Yes. So I flew on a 747 from Argentinian Airlines. They came from Argentina and they, you know, they had a, made a stop in Sao Paulo and then they came to Miami. So anyway, there I was. Boom. You were a kid. Well, now. Whoa. I walked into America and I'm thinking, you know, this is not, this is not even happening, man. How'd you make money? How'd you stay oh, places? Oh, no, make money. First of all, in order to come, you had to have your, your ticket. You had to have your visa. You had to have a $500, you know, uh, in your pocket. It was, all part, it was all part of the, uh, you know, you visiting America. That's what it is. Yeah. 
So anyway, that makes it, made, made it hard for a poor kid, you know. You were poor. Po- you grew up absolutely. poor. Yeah. And so. What was poverty like for you as a kid? Well, poverty, it all depends on how, you know, there's, there are degrees of poverty. Sure. You know, I'm not talking about, you know, I'm not talking about right. people in Afghanistan that live in, you know. Right. I'm not talking about favelas. Right. I'm not talking, you know, that's that's poverty. We were poor. Right. Uh, you know, so it's not like I was. we were able to do whatever we wanted to do. And, you know, it, was, it wasn't a, a very solidified, very balanced family by mm. any stretch, mm. you know. Mm. But anyway, but I lived with my uncle and aunt for a while. I lived mm. with friends for a while. So, yeah. you know, it's not like I've ever gone hungry or nothing like right. that. But anyway, um, but, you know, I was driving a cab. In Sao Paulo, I was a cab driver and, you know, sweaty and, you know, driving like a man, like bad out of hell. Yeah. That's yeah. why a lot of great, you know, um, drivers, you know, uh, come from Brazil. It's just like bull riders. Bull riders in Brazil are very, very famous. Yes. R- drivers in Brazil are very famous, you know, Formula One and whatever. Yeah. But anyway, so, you know, because Brazilians are good drivers. It's in the culture. Yes, yeah, in the culture. Right. And that's also in a culture that, you know, when you don't have a lot, you take care of what you have. So, I mean, to this day, I have guitar chords, man, that still got the price tag on. It's 30 years old. Mm. I, I hate, I hate with a passion, <laughs> disorganization. I hate masses. I hate just people that just throw things around. They're right. not grateful for what they have. I hate all of that. Lack of perspective. So yeah. it's exactly so. So, and uh, so, basic of who I am, how I become. And then when I got to uh, Miami, Florida, within hours, I was robbed. Really? So, yeah. Oh my God! They took your money. Yeah, and guitar and everything. Yeah, so I was homeless. Come on! Yeah. Are you serious? Yeah. How do you face that? Crying, sure, sure, desperate, damn, trying to figure out what the heck was going on. Then I remember that there was some friends who left Brazil. They worked for Caterpillar, the tractor company. Yeah, well, Caterpillar, you know, Peoria, Illinois is the home of Caterpillar. Therefore, that's how I ended up in Peoria, Illinois. So you were making, were you manufacturing construction equipment? Myself? No, I didn't work at Caterpillar. This family worked for Caterpillar. You were just staying up there. Yeah. What I went you, up there looking for them. Are you playing gigs up there in bars? Are you trying well, to? Well, it took a while. Yeah. yeah. It took a while, but yeah. Wow. I began my life in Peoria, Illinois. Was Brazil Billy already part of your vision? No, no, no. No, not at all. Not wow. at all. So you really didn't have much of a clue. Mm-mm. But you had the balls to leave and get here. Mm-hmm. And then what? You know? And then what? Yeah. But everything worked just the way it was supposed to. So are you a believer in that when looking back on things that each thing has its purpose, has its meaning? Absolutely. I believe that the reason why, you know, I, you know, I've, I've suffered from uh, Meniere's disease, for instance, you Mm -hmm. know, I think that stress, I think that overworking, I think that, you know, trying to solve the problems of the world and take care of everyone and whatever, it gets you to a point where you just like your head explodes, you know? 
Oh, wow. So I got to that point. So I, I believe that some of the problems that I faced health-wise has to do with things that happened to me through my oh, come yeah, on. through my years of living here. Sure, absolutely. Right, absolutely. Totally connected, yeah. When did you start um, working at Roberts? When did you first go there? I came to, <clears throat> I came to Nashville in 1994. So this was nine years after you first drove on mm-hmm. the 400 block. Nine years, almost ten years after I had driven through or down. You're in your early thirties, and here I am. Wow, I'm an astronaut. Do you know why? Yeah, in Peoria, everybody pretty much, everyone said to me, "You know, you've grown as much as you will." Oh wow! In Peoria, it's time to paint the the bigger picture. I really didn't understand at first, but there was a lot of push. From friends and you know my family up there because at this time I have I had been adopted in America. Oh, I wow. have a family who lives in Peoria, and even you see what? even the even my family in Peoria, my brother and sisters, really? they're in the music business. My brother is a drummer. He's a great drummer and a great singer, and he won't do nothing new. I mean, everything is is you know the old stuff, man. Fear. Yeah. Fear of change, trying to do that. He does the old stuff. He's a young guy. You know, no, it's not fear. It's that we love that music. Oh, wait. I took that the wrong way. You're saying he won't do new music. He was a drummer already when I became part of his family. How does that happen? They adopt you? You live with them? Yes, yes. Aren't you in your 20s? Yeah. No, not a legal adoption. I see. They take you in? Yes. Oh, how amazing is that? How'd that happen? Oh, it's... Through church, I met um, I met a uh, a person that later became my aunt Marina. Wow! And uh, she out. introduced me to her sister Lucy, and uh, my mom Lucy. Uh, her husband had just passed. Wow! He had a motorcycle accident, but he worked for Caterpillar. So did she. Wow! And he was also a musician. Come on. Man, and he was out playing music with these guys, man. It was the real deal. What were they playing? Well, they were playing, you know, they were playing, they played for fun, of course. Mm. You know, it wasn't a, a livelihood for him. I mean, mm. he had a great job and they 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 were very stable people. But uh, she's originally from the Philippines. Sure. And uh, anyway, they got married and uh, um, they had a nice place and... And when I came to be, to you know, when I was beginning to know them and before I became part of the family, it was great because my brother Jimmy was already a drummer. <laughs> you know, he was like a drummer. And my sister Cindy sung, man, she sung like a bird. She still does. She's phenomenal. Oh, my gosh. And, you know, yeah. and my mom was very much, is still, she's very much a big fan of Ray Price and... You know, my brother's a huge fan of um, um, Jerry Reed. And, oh, me too. You know, so I, I was right in the middle of that. Is that so where country I came music to, came in? Yeah, that's, yeah. So everybody started saying, we need to go to Nashville. You know, you need to, to be down there. And I, well, I, I drove through Nashville once. and No, 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 you need to go again. Right. You need to try this. So. So I, I came to be a Nashville. What do you think it was? You, but you didn't have the ego to say no. You actually had the state of mind to be like, maybe these people are right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What do you think that is? Well, at that point, I, I spoke English 
a lot better than I did ten years before. Wow! I had already, I had already played the bars and honky tonks, and you know, I had just gotten back from a USO tour to Saudi Arabia, Kuwait, Bahrain, and Iraq. <clears throat> I had done a lot of stuff. I've been to Germany. You know, I've. Uh, Love Germany. I mean, it was like. You know, I, I was playing music, man, but I didn't have a focus. I needed the focus. What does that mean to you? How do you define focus? Well, focus is, you know, who are you? I mean, hey, man, you're a great singer, and you can sing this stuff, and you can play. I mean, you're awesome, but, you know, you can play Marty Robbins, great, and you can play whatever whatever you do, you do right. Well, the reason why I do that is because I don't do anything I don't like to do. Come on with it. Right. No, I'm not going to do anything I don't like to do because I'm going to do it poorly. I'm going to do it bad. Exactly what no, I said. No, no, I'm not doing yeah. it. So, exactly. So if I'm going to do something, yeah, it's going to be right. Hopefully, yeah. it's going to be right because I love it. it. Exactly. It's like like owning a car for me. Some of these cars they may not be worth much to some people, but to me it is. Mm. So it's what I love. I bought it because I love it, and I don't sell them because I love it. And then that's how you end up with 36 of them. <laughs> that's very real. See what I'm saying? I very much so do. If you, yeah. if you are not focused, if you, if you don't somehow or another, to me, it took many, many years and a lot of bumps on the road. It took a lot of sacrifices, mm. a lot of tears to, to figure, figure this out. Figure out your focus? Mm-hmm. Now, but when I came here... Yeah. It was like everything just began to fall into place because before I left Peoria, I was going to be a police officer. <clears throat> so I had, you know, law enforcement. I went to college for law enforcement and criminology. Oh, really? Being a police officer. Stuart, to this day, I, I love the uniform. I, live, I love the work. I'm a huge supporter of the thin blue line. And, um, you know, so I left that. Because fellow officers, my police chief called me in his, you know, uh, room one day in his office and he said, you leaving, man. No way. Yeah, we don't want you here. You're too nice of a guy. You're going to end up with a bullet on the back of your head. I don't want to be part of that. Holy and I was shit. like, what the hell? What are you talking about? So, yeah. So I came down here because everybody, man, it was like, you know, he, in fact, his recommendation ladder that he gave me is on a wall with Roberts. I know. It's right when you walk in. Mm -hmm. So anyway, it's like a, so that's what happened. And here I was and still a little confused, still not very sure yet. But before I left Peoria, here's what I say to you. You know, some things are just, I don't believe in predetermination. Uh, I don't know if that's how it works, but I mean, Preordained, perhaps. I believe that person can be preordained to something. There are certain things that are going to happen in you your life. You don't believe that's real? <clears throat> I believe that's real. I do too. Right. You know, I don't think it's a predestination, but a preordination, preor be, being preordained, if that's the word for it, you know? And maybe it's your job to uncover. Yes. Right. And it's, it's in your hands, you right. know? And hopefully you're going to see that. You're going to see the light. Sure. So... A professor of mine who had become a dear friend, Daryl Hartwig, he was a police officer in Orange County, California. He did all his time there. He moved to Peoria, Illinois, wow. <clears throat> and he became a you know university professor. He came up to me and he said, hey, 
we used to go out shooting together, and he knew I loved the Western, you know, yeah. life, style. You know, the boots, I've always loved that. Oh, of course. And being the outlaw look, you know, Jesse James type. That's what you think. So anyway, so he said, man, you need to you need to get acquainted with some Marty Robbins music. And I was like, Who, who's that? Really? <clears throat> but anyway, ballots. I said, wait a minute, Marty Robbins, I have a cassette, <laughs> Marty Robbins cassette, Christmas music. I love that record. I bought it in, in a garage sale. Come on. Yeah, in Peoria, Illinois, like 30 years ago. And I was like, uh, yeah, I mean, I heard his Christmas music. And he said, no, 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 see, he's a, you know, you need to listen to some of his, you know, the ballads, the gun ballads, and this and that and the other. And I said, well, I don't know anything about it. Man, when he introduced me to Mario Robbins, that was, that was it. So do you remember what was it Big Iron? Was it Saddle Tramp? Was it El Paso? All of those. All of those. Gunfighter ballads, trail songs? All of those. Yeah. Whole yeah. Thing. He gave me a box set. He went across the street. He came to visit me in Nashville. Went across the street and he got a box set from Ernest of Marty Dub? Robbins. Yeah, from Ernest Some Record Shop. <laughs> How funny is that? He, exactly. He brought it to me and I had told them about my visit to Nashville and you know, on the quick visit from years past. And he said there is Ernest Record Shop, and this is the building where you said you you, you looked at it. What the heck? <laughs> Did you mean to do this? And I said, no, no, not at all, not at all. I don't, and I don't understand. Wow. You know, when I first moved here, Robert Moore owned Tussie's Orchid Lounge. What? I did yeah, not know this. That was his place. That was his joint. Now, it's a sad story because you know very quickly is that. Rubel Sanderson. Mm, owns Legends, the stage. Yes, he has like four or five of the places downtown, and he's done very, very well for himself. But at the time, he's, he, was, uh, he dealt in uh, poker machines. Ah. Yeah. Which was illegal. Oh, you sure. know. But, but, you know, it, it was, I don't know exactly if it was illegal in every establishment or it had to be you know, probably legal in bars and things, uh. and things like that. I don't know for sure, the whole story. But I can tell you that in talking to uh, Ruba, we became friends through the years. You know, he's a wonderful guy. He was down there, you were down there. Yeah, well, he said that uh, he had he had somebody approach him about this place downtown that was going to be for sale because he had money. This other person had no money. Rubel had money. Rubble had money and was he and, a young guy? Uh, was he a young guy at the time? Well, you know, this is we're talking nineteen ninety two. Okay. Ninety three. You know, he's eighty. He's uh, eighty. So, yeah. You know, I know. He he looks very young. He looks great. Strong, yes. But anyway, um the guy that approached him was Steve Smith. Mm-hmm. And uh, now I don't know if everyone listening will know who Steve Smith is. Oh, well, Steve Smith is. Uh, yeah, you don't want me to tell you who Steve Smith <laughs> is <laughs> yeah. on this podcast because I don't lie. Good. And, and if I tell you the truth, you know, it's, it's it's just I don't like to be, you know, I don't like to be mean about people. So it's like you know, if you don't have something good to say about someone, don't, don't say, say anything, and especially don't lie. Always right. tell the truth on exactly. it. Exactly. So it. anyway, but uh. This troublemaker was a as a he was a uh, uh, he was a convicted felon, mm-hmm. and he could not 
own a bar or be in the middle of, you know, poker machines or sure. whatever Ill- illegal things, you know, him and his brother. And uh, so they, somehow or another, there was a connection there. I don't know if it was over the machines, you know, where he had met Rubel. So he goes to Rubel about this place. Rubel doesn't know him. So Rubel comes downtown and meets Robert Moore, right? Come on. Yeah, with uh, Steve Smith. Uh, Robert Moore immediately hated Steve Smith. <laughs> Something he said, he'd done, just like everybody else. He just pissed him off right off the bat. Sure. But Rubel was able to connect. Rubel connected with uh, Robert. What happened was, I mean, I know this is this is going a little, you know, to the side here. Oh, I love it. But, you know, the building was falling in. Really? It was in bad shape, huh? Very, very bad shape. From the top down? Top down. Yeah. And the city, see, at that time, or in the 80s, we had a mayor that was going to level all that down. No shit. Yeah, that was all going to be gone. Can you imagine? Yeah, they boarded up the Ryman Auditorium. No. They were, yeah, they were coming down uh, on some of the buildings. People think it's new. It's not new. No. Oh, that's right. And, uh, wow. and uh, codes, you know, I mean, Robert had already been told it's over, you know, got to go because he didn't own the building. Mm. He was not going to put money on the building. But the, he was very close to in Tootsie Bass back in the day and all of that. So he ended up with Tootsie somehow or another. Wow. So. You know, this is this is just really amazing. But <laughs> what happened was Robert, every once in a while, he has decided, you know, in his life, I, I'm tired of the honky-tonk life. I'm going to just try something else. So Robert had owned every one of the places on the 400 block on the north side of the street, on the south side. And then he moved over to the north side. And he, all the way from the corner, he kept moving down. And at this point, he already had, you know, he had a relationship built with Inez Silverfield, who was the owner of most of the buildings okay. downtown. They're on the 400 block. Right. And he opened a store called Rhinestone Western Wear. Come on. That's what Roberts was. It was, right. Rhinestone Western Wear, you know, and, and Roberts' ways of knowing, you know, the, the old country stars and stuff, you know. He was... Uh, he just got himself involved with these people through the years. I mean, even the sign, the sign in front of Rhinestone Western Wear is the sign, the original sign that came out of a Hank Snow's School of Music on Church Street in the 50s. Come on. Yeah, that's the sign of Roberts. Come on. That building had already been uh, the home of Showbuds 2 Guitar Company. That's where they were built. It's where Willie bought Trigger. Mm-hmm. Right. Exactly. Absolutely. That's the building. I know it. So wild. You know, they manufactured the guitars on the second level. Man. And the first level there was the store. Come on. And where you have the stage right now, the stage was a lot lower. Okay. And that was a display case because if you're walking up the sidewalk, you just look at the you know guitars. Mm. There are there are many videos of. Uh, of you know that shows the old story you know Showbuds mm-hmm. to Guitar Company, they are. Mm-hmm. and I've I've had a chance to see some, and it's just amazing to look at that and say, oh my god, that's where my office is. <laughs> yeah, this is great. So, what I was telling you earlier was that the 400 block is a historic block because you had the Ryman Auditorium behind us, 
You had Showbuds Two Guitar Company. Mm-hmm. You had George Jones Possum Holler. Oh, I don't know that one. You had uh, Possum Holler. You know, you had Tootsie's Orchid Lounge right there where people would play at the Ryman or the Grand Ole Opry and they come to Tootsie's and have a drink, go over to, uh, um, you know, Shot Jackson and, and buy a guitar, right. walks directly through the stores across the street into Ernest Sub Record Shop where you had the Midnight Jamboree. Every Saturday. Right. There you go. Absolutely. 400 block. That's the history of that, man. It really is. And they were going to level that. They were going to take it all down. Oh, my God. You know, oh you know, um, I can't imagine. Roy Acuff had a place over there too in the alley. Oh, really? Yes. And they had like a, he had like a, a room where everybody would come and warm up for the Grand Ole Opry. Come yeah. on with it. Mm-hmm. Wow. So you see, I mean, and, and then I, when I first came here, you know, it was already Robert's, it was called Robert's, uh, Robert's Night club and bar that's fair so you know i mean he kept changing well but the reason why he did that is because he sold tootsies to ruble ruble owned tootsies he had he did he paid for it cash yeah and this well here's the deal though if i tell you i don't even know that ruble wants me to tell the world is oh but the funny thing is Wow. Robert was really done. I know Robert, and when he's done with something, he's done. You were working there, not at Tootsie's. At Robert's, though. Yeah, yeah. Or Robert's, yes. But, but anyway, back back to Tootsie's. Yeah. When Robert had already rhinestone Western wear, you know, uh, in operation, if you will, he was he was like that. He was always ready to just go to the next thing. Mm. So he let go of Tootsie's. For whatever he had in the place. I'm not even going to mention the price because you won't believe it. Come on. But Robert just go around one night when Rubo came in and said, well, let me count whatever is in the coolers. No, come You know, on. that register cost me this, that cost me that. And he walked out the door. Do you know the price? Yeah. Was it, what was it? It wasn't very much. Come on. Was mm-hmm. it, uh, what could it be? Several thousand dollars. No, are you for real? Mm-hmm. Are you absolutely serious? Yes, I am. So what happens? Ruble now owns the place. This thug come over here and says, "No, wait a minute. You well, only knew that place because you know my family told you about it, or has a niece that was in real, you know, realty, uh, a realtor." And anyway, so that's, some that's how shit. that's how that friendship starts. The, the, and it ended just as fast as it started because, you know, mm. I mean, poor Rubo having his life threatened and and all kinds of horrible things happening. I mean, he and he, what happened was he hung, hung in there for a while. And then one day he said, okay, you want to have the place this bad? I'm done with it. This is what I want. And he made his money a hundred times over. Good. And then he went and started opening places yeah. on the block, which became a big fight between the two again. Sure. And the then for the race. So sure. Robo has the stage. Robo has, you know, fiddle you know, crossroads, second fiddle. Uh, the, the other one has this. The other uh, one has that. Right. The other one has that. Right. How do you find yourself out? I lived of this? through all of that, man. You I were s- a worker. Oh, I, I saw all of that happening. 
all of the evil happening on, down that street. It is evil. It is evil. You're not, you don't operate off evil morals at all. Mm? You don't operate off evil morals. Mm-mm. You don't have evil endeavors. I do not. Right. You have good intentioned. I don't, I, it's not in my heart. Never has been. I, I couldn't do anything evil to, to a cockroach. Mm. I hate cockroaches though. I hate it. I hate them too. <laughs> but yeah, well, they'll take that back. Maybe I'll step on one. <laughs> but, but what I'm saying is it's not in my heart to sure. be evil. And I was brought in to something when I first got Roberts from Robert. How'd that happen? Well, you know, I... Um, if you feel comfortable telling the story. <clears throat> yeah, man, it's fine. I, um, it was 94 when I came here, you know. You're in I, your early 30s? Yes, I was, I was wanting to... I really wanted to be around music, right? So a mistake for most people, it was for me. A mistake that everyone would make was you move into town... Where are you going to be exposed to music the most and get to meet stars of country music right. and people that might help you? You want to network, you got a job at Opryland. Oh, come on. Sure. Mm-hmm. Opryland theme park. Yeah. So I go in there, you know, and I ask for a job because, you see, back home in Peoria, I was making, I mean, we're talking 25 years ago. I was making like three, 400 bucks a week playing my guitar and singing. It's fair. And... uh you know, I came down here and I, you know, I didn't know anybody. I was starting over once again. And I went to Opryland and the only thing, man, listen, I speak four languages. And, you know, I had a, a you know, a, a law enforcement background. I was getting into it. So I figured, you know, maybe I can be, get a job there, security mm-hmm. or something, right? Mm-hmm. You know what I did? I cleaned bathrooms. No shit. Are you serious? For $3.35 an hour. Why'd you do that? Because they said it was the only thing that was available right away. You had the humbleness to accept that. Absolutely. Because you wanted to work? I needed to work. Had to work. Right. So, you know, here... Mm. So, you know, here I was, you know... Here I was, I come, I moved to Nashville. I need a job. And so I took the job at Opryland that they had, you know. And uh, I mean, I'm nobody, I'm not better than anyone, you know. And I'm very neat, I'm very organized. Mm-hmm. They told me it was going to be maintenance. Jesus. It turns out to be, you know, turns out to be uh, cleaning, you know, uh, janitorial. Yes. So anyway, um, but I did it. Holy shit. Yeah, I was really depressed. You, right. Yeah, I did it at night. Did you feel kind of like you lost? Yeah, I felt like I had stepped back big time. It's a terrible feeling. And, uh, but what happened was for the first, for the first uh, several months, I kept some of my gigs in Peoria on Fridays and Saturday nights. Smart man. It's the only way to, to pay my rent. Right. Oh, come on. So what would happen was I did, you know, janitorial work during the week. Jeez. And then on Friday, I jump in a car, my old beat up Ford van, mm. and I go to Peoria, eight hours behind the wheel. And I'd play music Friday and Saturday, come back on Saturday night, I'd go back to Opryland. You know, and start the week again. Come on. Sunday night. Come on. So it was during these journeys back and forth to Peoria, Illinois, eight hours behind the wheel that I would listen to my cassettes. 
You know how I made the drive as tired as I was, as depressed as I was? The way I made the drive was I cried for eight hours straight listening to Marty Robbins' music. It got to me, to my heart like that. It got to me, man. It was like, it was like, I've, it's like I started leaving. I started, I was alive now. I've wasted so many years. What have I done? I'm listening to this stuff and I'm thinking, my God, that is my call right there. Oh, he helped you find your focus. 100%. Wow. Through my criminology professor who gave me the gift. It has a way of writing itself. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. Is that how you were learning to sing in that style? Mm-hmm. So you were just copying. Well, you know, I mean, I didn't have a, a at that time, I didn't have a, a personality of my own, mm-hmm. you know, but I didn't want to, I didn't want to continue to do what I did back in Peoria, which was sing everything, everywhere, every band, you right. know, just cover. So I started writing a little mm-hmm. and... Uh, you know, and I, like I said, I, you know, I had a fiance. I was engaged in Peoria, and of course, that didn't go through. You were engaged while you were doing janitorial work at Offerland. That mm-hmm. lived in, she lived in Peoria. Mm-hmm. You were all over the place. Yeah, she came down here to stay with me. Wow. And uh, but you know, so man, it was it was tough. Now let me tell you this: yeah. I was doing Sunday night because I had to have my Friday night in Peoria. Sure. So I had to go Sunday through. Thursday or Friday morning. Jesus. Right? So what I did was I did that during the day. You know, I did that at night. And that's one of the reasons why I became extremely skinny. I mean, I was skin and bones, man. I was very, very skinny. I was very depressed. But I wasn't, you know, I I didn't catch that. I Depression is real. And I... At that time, I didn't know, you know. I, mean, right. I know my father was depressed and my, right. my grandfather was depressed, but hell, I don't know. We know so is. much more now. Right. Yeah. But anyway, so, yeah, that's when my, my health actually began to deteriorate and I wasn't aware of it. So, yeah, I worked all week here. Holy shit. Went to PR on the weekends. And during the day here, I booked myself some retirement homes, some nursing homes. No. I played like 32 nursing homes a month. What? I had one every day. That's insane. Sometimes two during the day. But I worked, you know, hauling hoses on my back all night, you know, from 10 until 7 in the morning. Oh, my God. Nine hours? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And then during the day, I would play retirement homes, you know. And they like me a lot, so they would have me back all the time, once a month. Wow. And uh, and then uh, on the weekends, I drove to Peoria. Man. And that's how I lived for a while. And, uh, oh, you're hustling. So, you know, eventually I was able to get a job playing music. And I was playing piano. I mean, this is guy that used to go to church. Uh, he, he was like a one-man show type thing. Yeah. He played the piano. And had a drum machine. You know, I've seen a lot of that, but, you know, I don't know if I could do it, but I was hungry enough to do it. Mm-hmm. He asked me once if I would fill in for him at this place by Opryland, a hotel mm. lounge. And I said, sure, man, I'll give it a try. 
So I went out there, brought my PA and stuff, and I set everything up, and I played the piano, and I played guitar, and I sung, and I ended up with a job. They let him go, and they kept me. Really? And so I was really embarrassed about that, and he, and he really just pretty much hated me forever after that. So <laughs> I didn't mean to do that. You did your job, though. You did your job. Yeah. Where does Roberts come in? Well, I started going downtown, finally. 1994, towards the end of 94, I started to go downtown. And uh, just curious, you know. And mm -hmm. then I saw the building, Ernest Abrecker Shop, and then I saw this building and this, you know, Robert's Bar, whatever. Uh, Rhinestone Western Wear, Robert's World. It was so confused. Three Doors Down. It had all kinds I of names. I remember three doors down. Yeah. That's still painted on the back of the building. Yes. Yeah. It had it had oh so many different names. But I started going down there. And one night, I remember the first night I went there. First night I ever went down there. It was snowing outside. It was really cold. <laughs> so I went inside. And it was like, you know, he had boots along both walls. And uh, still. And had there are uh, booths then too, right? Yeah, yeah, booths, yeah. And then he also had cowboy boots on the walls, right? And he had shirts and hats and things like that. But yet, there was this old beat up PA system, you know, on what was once a uh, a um, a uh, showcase display for instruments. So there's this guy there, man, and he's like playing the guitar. And singing this old, old music I never heard of before. And he's just singing that. And there were only two ladies there. There was two ladies sitting there. And they were arguing, fussing with each other. <laughs> yeah, man. So, you know, I sat there where the, uh, uh, the ATM machine is now. There used to be a booth in there. Right where the door so, is. So I sat there and I started looking, you know, at the band, at the guy. And there was this guy over here. This is a clothing store. But yet there's a guy over here smoking a cigarette, flipping a burger or something, like a whatever it was. It was a tiny little kitchen. Yeah. He went ahead and put the hood in there. So that area was his little kitchen at the time. And there's a, Larry Helms was his name. Of course, I yeah. didn't know him then, but Larry was the maintenance guy. He was everything for Robert. Yep. And he was up there with this, you know, Historic. I noticed that he had this cigarette in his mouth and the ashes were really long and about to fall. Well, and he's cooking. like cooking, man. <laughs> and then he would like, serious, and then he would like stop for a second, you know, and grab a beer. And he'd just drink the beer and put the beer down. And, you know, the ashtray just falls on a grill or something. And I'm thinking, what the hell? What is this world? What is this thing? Yeah. But, you know, later on I came to find out that it was so wrong, it was right. Can you explain that? Because that is crazy. That's mm -hmm. a beautiful thing. Mm, well, to me, it's like, you know, I love old westerns and stuff, you know. Of course. I'm a huge fan of, I mean, Tombstone. Before I left Peoria, me and my professor of law enforcement, we, we had watched Tombstone 20 times. I know? love Tombstone, too. Yeah, me yeah. too. So anyway, and that's the reason why he said you need to, you need to learn about Marty Robbins. <clears throat> oh, right, of course. Mm -hmm. So anyway, uh, you know, so I started listening to Marty Robbins, and then I found out that there were some other cowboys. You know, There's a few. Dean Martin and all his movies and stuff, and he's singing. So, boo, I mean, it was, it was a yeah. learning time Sons of process. Pioneers. 
So anyway, um, that was my first time there. And uh, I'm looking at that and I'm thinking, wow, you know, there might have been somebody because it was a very long room. So there might have been someone there that Larry was cooking, that flipping that, whatever he was doing too. But up front here, there was only these two ladies and they were not paying attention to the music. They're, they're ladies of the night. I can see that. Mm. You know, and they're arguing, fussing, fighting over money. Mm. And uh, this guy that's up on stage was Gary Bennett. Wow, and, yeah. And he stops the song and he says, shut the fuck up. <laughs> on a microphone. Love that. And that's I was cool. like, <laughs> Whoa. Man, I was like, wow. What is this place? And then he goes right back to playing. <laughs> and he gets, you know, and he starts playing the song. And he's, <laughs> he's, he's moving his legs like he's going up a ladder or something, you know. And he's singing four in the morning. And I listened to the song and I fell in love with it. I was, God almighty. Wow. See, all of those things, they were very depressing I was digging it because that's where I was. Yeah, indeed. So, man, I mean, I love just those depressing songs. Thank God I never drank alcohol, never smoke, I never use drugs because that would have been the time where that would have been when you did it. That would have been when I really would have gotten into it. Man, like Saddle Tramp, Hanging Tree. Oh, These are all just amazing. I'm listening to this stuff songs. and I'm crying my eyes out, man. Yeah, you know, and uh, and that's how I became part of Roberts. You know, I came over there one day, one afternoon, and there was a band up on stage. And... Um, a part of it. And I was like, you know, uh, is, is Mr. Robert in here, you know? So, wow, man. Yeah, I was very shy. Do you remember who was playing? Yes. Uh, it was Toby Carr. Oh. He had a band up there, you know. I can't remember what they were called or anything, but... Uh, Robert was sitting at this booth and he was playing dominoes with some old timers. Huh. And you know, oh, Maria Elena. Yes, sir. Oh, I love this stuff, man. But anyway, mm. remember this? Absolutely. Oh, but anyway, uh, so Robert's sitting there and uh, his hat was like he sat on his hat. <laughs> and just put it back on his head. Uh. His eyeglasses were missing one of the little right. legs, what do you call it, you know, yeah. little arms there. And uh, he had like ketchup and mustard on his shirt. On like a plaid shirt, yeah. And I was like, what the hell, you know, it was a white shirt. Uh. White shirt with a, a mechanic patch that said, Robert. Come on. Yeah. So, you know, and he got up and he was chewing tobacco or something, you know, and he's spitting. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, what am I getting into, you know? But to me, to say that it was so wrong was right. It was wrong, but it took me it took me into a, um, a time where this is what it was. Yep. It, it was what it was. Indeed. Like it is what it is. Indeed. It was what it was, man. And that's how people act how they did things i mean and here i am you know i'm watching all of these westerns and stuff and these guys are spitting in a bucket pow yeah i love that you know and i'm like oh my god this is great yeah you loved it you know and i'm wondering if everybody's armed you know mm. is there gonna be a shootout in here or something <laughs> i'm thinking but i i talked to him and i said you know mr robert would you uh well you know how would i go about 
play music for you. And he says, you know, he talking that real hillbilly accent, you know. Yep. And he just told me, well, boy, you play country music? And he said, yes, sir, I do. And he said, well, I'm going to ask Toby right up there on stage to get you up to sing with the band. And I got up there. What'd you, what song did you do? And Toby gave me a guitar. Wow. And I, you know, and of course I'm so green, man. And I look around and say, hey, do you guys know uh, Devil Woman? And they were like, of course we know Devil Woman. Yeah. Uh, to me, it's all new, you know. Right. That's one of the best Marty Robbins. Yeah, so yeah, uh, I play that, and I remember that Robert walked through the door. He went next door at the Wagon Burner, used to be called, and got Pat. Pat was the lady who ran the wagon burner, which is now Lelis. Mm. It was a real outlaw type joint, too, mm. man. I Still mean, is. So a place where you go there to no, but back then it was like even worse. Lower Broadway was a place where you go to get stabbed and get <sighs> robbed and get sure. shot. Pawn shops and shit. Back right. in, in in porn stores. That's the stage was. Yes. Adult world. Yes. Yeah. And across the street from it too. Oh, wow, come on. Yeah, massage parlors. That's, oh, just terrible. That's what Lower Broadway became <laughs> all through the 80s. It was that. And, I mean, the mayor had sent machines after take everything down. Well, and, and, you know, Joan and Lewis Shepard is still working at Roberts in mm -hmm. their 80s, and they still play music at Roberts. They were part of the movement. Oh, yeah, really? they got in front of the machines, man, and the cops arrested everybody, and that's all happened during the 70s and 80s. Anyway. He brings Pat. Robert brings Pat over. You're singing Devil Woman. What happens? He goes outside. He, he brings this Indian lady with a very long, long hair. You know, she's a Native American, obviously. You look at her. And then there was another lady that came in, and it ended up being Kathy Moore, who ended up working for me at Roberts. You know, she had the place across the street. She had the, um, oh, my God, uh, across the street. where Well, across the street were two other real rough joints, the Turf yes. and Music City Lounge. Oh, World man. famous Turf. Nah, two places where you go to get yourself killed, right? Right. So come all on. these people come in. Robert brought them and to listen to me. Come on. Yeah. So um, I guess he liked it. Gives you a gig? Yeah. So he gave, asked me to do another one and another one. And when I came down, they were arguing who was going to have me in their place. What? Yeah. They were like, oh, man, you know, you want to come and play across the street? And Pat said she had time for me, you know, a slot next door, whatever I wanted to do. Was it still Do you hour? play your guitar? You know, I said, yeah, I, I've been doing a solo gig for so long. It's just me, my guitar, and I'm a drummer, which my timing is really good, which is what happened with a lot of people that play the guitar and sing. They're terrible because they're all over the fucking place. Excuse mm -hmm. me. They're all over the place. And, you know, but I mean, I was pretty solid rhythm player mm. and, and I can sing. And so they were like, wow. So, yeah, but Robert won. He had me play Roberts. He said, I'm going to put a band behind you. So he started asking some guys that were sitting right there, and we put a band together called the Tennessee Travelers. That's a great name. That's cool. That There's a poster of that at Roberts. There's a little flyer. Mm -hmm. Come on, seriously. Mm -hmm. I always wondered who they were. That was your band. Mm -hmm. That's insane. So, you know, one thing led to another. 
1995, you know, Beer 549 had the gig at the time. And, I mean, the place was packed. It was the only place. Now, listen to me. <clears throat> I like to emphasize this. Yeah, please. Because a lot of people don't know this history, and it is very true. Here we go. It was not Tootsie's. It wasn't Tootsie's. It wasn't anybody else. It was Robert's Western World bringing in all the college kids. Really? Culture? They, brought they are all coming down to that place, that one place. And BR549 is up on stage playing and wearing the old suits and yep. stuff. And it was a blast. What do you place think it was? was packed. It, it was so wrong, I was right. Oh, <clears throat> my God. That is beautiful. That's so real. They did just weekends, Friday, Saturdays. No, they're doing Thursday, Friday, Saturdays. Six to ten or ten mm -hmm. to two. They were doing they were doing the ten to two. Okay. Yeah. Who was doing six to ten? Then I then I was doing it. Really? I was doing six to ten. Oh, that's beauty. And then one night I stayed because I would always stay after you know afterwards to listen to be a five four nine. We became friends and and stuff. And a lot of people that come in there, there was a lot of things happening. Man, you know, you had everybody in the music business hanging out there. Yeah. Sure. Here is 1995, 1996, and you have all of these people coming in. Farron Young would hang out there at the end of the bar. You know, George Jones would come in with other musicians that played for these people. What? You know, I mean, everybody was coming there. But it wasn't until um, the famous guitar player, you know, um, oh, Jesus. Chad Atkins? It wasn't until the famous guitar player Chad Atkins began to hung, hang out there that things began to move. Oh. When Chad began to come there, I remember really well, you know, all of a sudden, re record labels are fighting over BF549. Come on. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. It's unbelievable. Wow. So there was magic happening. Yeah. And then one night, one of the boys on stage said... Hey, you know, how about that Brazil Billy, you know, plays before us and stuff. So then they had this very brief discussion, and I can't remember if it was Gary or if it was Chuck who said, Brazilio Billy, man, that's a long one. What about Brazil Billy? Let's just call him Brazil Billy. Oh, my so, God. That is crazy. Mm -hmm. So how long are you doing the 6 to 10 there? How many years? Just one year, two years? Uh, yeah, just it would have been 1995, 1996. And you own the place somehow. Well, that's a 99. So you do the gig for three years, then you start to own the place? How does that happen? No, I was there for four years almost. Wow. Four years. And, um, you know, again, my, my engagement had ended, and uh, I oh. was here. I was really depressed, and I was playing retirement homes still. Well, you went back to doing all that. No, no and I never stopped doing it. I stopped going to Peoria on the weekends because I couldn't do that anymore. And you quit Opryland. Yeah. Well, I was at Opryland for a while, yeah. but I was changing. Yeah. Times were changing. You're finding your focus. Right. Yeah. And, and they were not happy that I was playing some, you know, gunfighter ballads and stuff. Yeah. Where's the old Jassy? And I said, well, uh -huh. I mean, I'm still here. It's just that I've discovered this thing and I'm in love with it. You're you know? changing, yeah. So once I started playing Robert, I just did Robert's. Found a, a decent, nice place to work during the day. Yeah, man. And, uh, you know, I did translations for a company, voiceovers, you know, in Portuguese, Italian. And so things began to change. And I started meeting people. And then I, I met 
David McCormick from Ernest Tub Records shop, and then other stars of country music wanted to get up and play music with me, you know? And Come on. So it was like, boom, here I am in the middle of this now. It's what you dreamed of. Yeah. And then, you know, um, Robert, Robert was now getting tired. You know, we all saw it coming. He had a fight. He had a, a boxing ring up there. What? On the second floor. So where that second bar is, it was a, once a boxing rink? Yeah. It was I a didn't bo- know that. A rink. It was upstairs. He was, he was always been a fighter. Robert is known for being, you know, people call him, a, a, you know, he's a little upset-minded or whatever, whatever you want to call it. I've but heard this story. A, a, a lot of the stuff is, you know, punch drunk, you know. He would punch people so hard they'd get knocked out. Well, right, right back, out back in the 95, 96, he had those years. You know, Peter Paul was a famous doorman who works at, uh, uh, you know, he works for Jack's Barbecue now. He's yep. been there for a long time. Everyone knows Peter Paul. But, I mean, yeah. Peter Paul, I mean, man, so many times I've been there when he, you know, if, if the girls gave him a sign that there was a problem with a, a patron, you know. Oh, yeah. Peter Paul would come in, touch their shoulder. When they turn around, he goes, boom, uppercut, <laughs> grabs him by the shirt and oh drags him God. out the door. I've seen it a thousand times. We're in a different time now. Hmm? We're in a way different oh, time Oh, no, now. I can't take that no more. Yeah. <laughs> in fact, Peter Paul came back to work for us really? for a little while, and he was too bored. He said he couldn't do that. He didn't want it. That's so funny. I love that. <laughs> Better serve barbecue, right? So Robert gets tired? He gets tired, and I was already helping him there. Dick has a... You know, what happened was it was a Sunday. It was Mother's Day. And I went to play piano at this fancy retirement home in Green Hills. Oh, yeah. And I also taught Sunday school. I didn't tell you that. But with all of that that was happening, I was also going to church in the morning. So I was at Roberts until 3, 4 in the morning, you know. And then 9 o'clock, I had a suit and tie. It was a church. Yes, sir. Yeah. Yeah, so... That's great. Then after church, I went to play that retirement home. Yeah. And from there, I was just really bummed out, and I came to Roberts, which oh. I never did on a Sunday afternoon because I play at night. <clears throat> so I was sitting there, and Robert didn't recognize me. Then he finally said, hey, you look like an attorney sitting there or something, you know, because I had a different suit on. But anyway, he said, hey, won't you? Would you be interested in helping me down here? I said, doing what? So, you know, I mean, well, I didn't know, but everything needed to be done. Everything from maintenance <laughs> to cleanliness to running the office. Wow, it was all a mess. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> it was very much a you mess. You never ran a business before. No, but I wasn't running the business. I was helping him. Right, sure. I was getting things organized for him. But, you know, I enjoyed doing that. And, uh, you know, it was very, where now is the second fiddle? He had already got that building because that used to be a pawn sh- Friedman's pawn shop. Oh, yeah. It was there for many, many years. Yes, indeed. You see, on lower Broadway, you had Ernest Sub Record Shop, you had Friedman's pawn shop, and that's about all. The mm. rest of it was sleazy joints. Whoa, man. Yeah, at one point. Mm-hmm. You know, Tootsie's. Then, then that's when Robert began to clean this, the street, was with the, he let go of Tootsie's. You know, when those guys went in there and they fixed the building and, you know, and all that rest of the story. Of course. And and Rubble got out of it because he was done fighting and got a bunch of money. Right. And so he went on to have a happy life. Right. 
and uh, and the thugs went on to have their lives, and oh, and uh, you know, but it was Robert with opening the rhinestone western wear that's begun the, you know, because that developed, you know, you had Lucilla, Lucinda Williams, you had, yep. you had everybody there, Greg Guerin, oh, Chuck wow. Mead, everybody sitting at the tables there writing songs. Really? Yeah. Oh, that's crazy. Everybody hang, hung out there writing songs at night, man, when we we're playing. That's great. Yeah. What a dream. Yeah. Different place. Everybody began to hang out there. It is the place to hang out. You know, I mean, it's, is. it is what it was. I'm telling you, this is what I'm telling you. This is, the, this is when the cleanup began of that block. And you're watching it all. Oh, yeah. I was Man. there. I saw the whole thing. And, you know, so in 99, when Robert was ready to go, he made up his mind. He wanted to go. Freaked everybody out. You know, you can't do this. You know, this is part of Nashville. This is an iconic place. Blah, blah, blah. You know, a lot of tears there. And he said, I want you to have it. Me? Were you? What, I'm what? a musician, man. I play for tips. Why am I going to do this? I had a lot of friends. I had a lot of people that could help me. And that's eventually what happened. Whoa. I had people who invested sure. in me. And I paid dearly for it, but I paid. Yeah, of course. And uh, How old were you when that happened? Well, I would have been... 30, 38. Still a young man. 36, 37, something like that. Wow, and that was? 20 years ago. Wow. That's crazy. Was that just the best thing ever? It was really difficult at first. I'm sure. Very, very difficult. You know, I I never had an obligation such as that. So, you know, my, my first turn around was 72 days straight never went home never left what do you mean yes day and night until i got sick passed out and they took me to the hospital what are you talking about you wore the same clothes you stayed there for what are you oh no i went to walmart and i was able to which i still do today buy you know the v-neck t-shirts and stuff yeah you got one on now babe overalls this is what i've that's what I do. That is you. That's who you are. Mm-hmm. You've remained unchanged in a lot of ways. Yeah. Huh? I mean, people would come over there and there's people who say that even today. They will say, man, I used to come out here when you were in the bathrooms there working and you had like big overalls and boots and you had a tube belt and you did that in the afternoon. And, you know, we came out here like after work and then later on we'd come out for the party and you were up on stage. Wearing a suit. Wearing a suit. Right. Yeah. A lot of people still say that. Right. Unbelievable. And Ruble and neighbors that were nice neighbors would come up to me and say, man, you can't do this. I know you're overwhelmed. You know, this is a big thing that happened. You know, wow, I cannot even, you know, the stress has got to be immense. But you can't go without sleep for two months, man. So to speak, you know, you can't sleep two or three hours. You can't. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Wash your hair in the sink and start the day come on you but, got it done though you but got it i done. did it yeah you got it done that's what matters in life is you get it done mm-hmm. wow so you know nowadays when i hire somebody i'll say listen don't ever think that i don't know what you're going through or what's happening i was the cook i was the bartender i was the server i was the drummer for such and such band i play rhythm for such and such band. i fronted for this band i was the doorman i was the maintenance guy I did that, man. 
Wow. I was in that. I was in that vibe until some seven years, eight years ago. That's when Meniere's got me really bad. All the work coming off you. Yeah, my yeah. my body was too weak, right. you know, to fight it. Wow. And my stress was too high to avoid it. Wow. And those are those are major essential uh, uh, things that you need to to have to get Meniere's. Whoa, my God. Meniere's is a Meniere's disease is an inner ear. Uh, uh, they call it a syndrome. In America, we call it Meniere's disease. The rest of the world, the world calls syndrome of Meniere's. Oh. Because what it is, is, you know, like a lot of people have ringing in their ears, which is tinnitus. They yeah. say, oh, I have ringing in my ear. Yeah, well, a lot of people have that. You know, that's not going to kill you. Mm-mm. But it's annoying. It's, it's terrible. But, yeah, it you makes know. life less fun. Right. So you have that. Then you have people who says, well, you know, I get motion sickness really, really easy, very quick. You know, if I turn here, turn there, boom, I get sick, man. Well, and then you have other people who says, man, I have a fullness in my ear. Mm. Pressure is really, really bad. Then there are other people who say, man, my balance is off. Everything. I get dizzy. And then there are other people who says, man, I'm having vertigo attacks. You know, well, when you have many ears, you have all of that. Mm. Not one of the symptoms you have all the symptoms. You, what do you do? You change your diet? Do you exercise? Uh, yeah, you change your diet. You, <laughs> you know, you do everything you can. There's no cure for Sucks, it. Sucks, man. You never, you never indulged in any vices either. Mm-mm. Wow. When I started having the vertigo attacks, that did it's it for wild. me. That was, I was done. I couldn't drive. You have them on stage. Yeah. yeah. Oh my god, that's terrifying. Yeah. I've had that several times. I mean, the place is like, it's like really happening it's like you you oh, upside yeah. down you're I'm looking t- at everybody and everybody's going f- f- upside down and everybody's spinning yes and you feel it in your heart it's like you're holding a in, a, in your mind it's like holding a uh, you know a backpack when you go to school when you're young and yep. you have this backpack you go on your grass mm-hmm. on the grass and then you just start spinning around holding it out and you spin 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 and then you let it go Whoa. Then you open your eyes. That's right. Meniere's. Wow. So it gets you sick on your stomach immediately. So you're vomiting all over yourself. Jesus Christ. You know, yeah. What are you doing now to uh, to, to live through this and stay happy? Stay well, positive? you know, I mean, it's it's not as bad as it was. And right now I have fullness in my ear really big time. This whole side of my face is very, feels like it's this big. Right. My ears ringing really loud. I'm a little lightheaded. Wow. You know, I, I live like that every day. Whoa. Are you sure you're not as involved in the business anymore? Exactly. Maybe. But it's running itself. Well, it's not running itself. I mean, I, I had hired a uh, manager, uh, Julie, that was there for seven years or so. She's a trooper. But then I came around and I took over. You took over I, Julie's I, role? Well, I took, no. Julie was doing... Okay, Julie, yeah. Herman, yeah. everybody was doing what I did alone. Uh, no. All she had to do is run the office. You were booking bands? Herman, absolutely. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. That's, That's all my thing, man. It's all my, my deal. So Robert's Western World, for many, for what it is now, is you. Now it's your team and you. It was you. Mm-hmm. My God. 
No doubt about that, Roberts, uh, from 1999 until 2012, 13, I did everything. God. If there was an office, it was because I was running the office. And my office was clean, neat, and organized. Of course. Even though sometimes, oh, man, just talking about my age starts going crazy. That's wild. You know, I walk through the front door. And as I walk through the front door in the morning, I look over to the stage on the left and I see all kinds of things that nobody done yep. or took care of the night before. So I'm directly up on stage. I'm folding stands. I'm putting amps away. I'm, I'm wrapping cables and cords and cleaning. Yeah, you're doing it. Because people just... Anyway, so... And as I start walking through the place, I find something else with the boots that's wrong. Oh, yeah. And then before, before I get to my office, it's like 5 o'clock in the afternoon. <laughs> I'll never forget when I was playing in Don's band years ago. Um, you came in, and it was a dead night. It was a Wednesday, middle of winter, just one of those slow nights. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And there was a mayonnaise packet on the floor, and there was a couple dancing, like really dancing well. And you walked in, you saw the mayonnaise packet. And then you waited until they got out of the way and you just, you ran and you grabbed the packet. Oh, really? Threw mm. it away, went mm. up to your office. And it was like, that is how you run a business. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I always have run the business as a family. You know, I don't have employees, man. I don't like that term. We're not employees. We are all a family. Wow. You know, I guess it's the fact that I didn't have a family that was very close. Now we are. Things have really changed nowadays, but... You know, I, uh, it's, it's funny because, you know, when there is a problem, something that Rubo or anybody else or Layla would fire somebody on the spot, I call him and say, hey, man, come and meet with me. Mm. Hey, man, what's going on? That's mm. how I do business, man. Empathy's real. Yeah. yeah, but the whole thing is it caused me a lot of problems. But, mm. you know... Now, Emily, my, my fiancé, my future wife, she is now helping me with it. She helped me through my illness. Wow. If it hadn't been for her, man, I would have shot myself in the head a long time ago. Come on. Absolutely. I was that close to it. You're very depressed, man. Well, man. I was there. That's crazy. Even when Roberts was booming. Like, he's oh, still, yeah. still doing really well. Doesn't matter, man. Doesn't matter. Listen, when you lay in your bed at night and you can't sleep and the bed's spinning... You can get out of bed to get to the bathroom without vomiting. Oh, my God. You can't, you know, you can't stand up to pee. You can't drive your cars anymore. You can go to work. That's what happens to a lot of people with Meniere's. In oh. fact, I know of some people with Meniere's right now who are in the industry, who are, who are people who have fame, and they are like, you know, I joined this uh, organization, you know, and uh, the American Hearing Association of America. Uh, and they talk a lot about Meniere's and the troubles of living with Meniere's. And I mean, it's a lot of people who live with this, man, that they, they're done. They're done. You want to put a bullet to your, you know, man. you know, with, with my background, man. You know, I love guns and, and you know, 
police officers usually have this idea that, you know, you want to make it fast, just put it in your mouth and pull the trigger. Jesus Christ, you've had these thoughts. You've yeah, done it. oh yeah, I had a gun to my mouth. No, are mm-hmm. you for real? Mm-hmm. And I'm looking at it, you know, and it was like the Holy Spirit, man, or something just came over me and said, can't do this, you can't do this. You've worked so hard, and now you're going to spend eternity in hell for doing this. I had these voices in my head. Wow. Man. Is it bravery? Is it, is, it must be bravery. It must be drive and focus. Love that gets you through. Mm-hmm. My God. That's wild. Mm-hmm. Thanks for sharing that. Mm-hmm. People will love to hear that. They'll find a lot of it makes you, it your story is one of a lot of heroism, man. A lot of focus. Yeah, and you'll see a lot of a journey too. You know, and coming from coming from a boy that wasn't really focused, you know. Wow. Well, a lot of people who listen are younger and they're still trying to find focus. What was what's some advice you'd give them? Wait. Yeah. You wanna ask that again? Sure. A lot of people that listen to this are, you're going to see that's going to be like a lot of young males. Mm-hmm. They're still trying to find focus. They're still mm-hmm. trying to find their place in this world. What's mm-hmm. some advice you give them? Well, I tell you, I, I'm going to say this to you and I say it respectfully because I'm no better than anybody. I'm not judging anybody. I would never do that. Yeah. Um, you know, um, I'm very accepting of things, you know, and that's why I usually want to know what the problem is. I don't want to fire you. Why don't we talk about this? Mm-hmm. You know, I, and it sort of irritates people around me because they're like, wow, you got to take care of business. I have my way of doing things, you know. And confidence in it. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, I I take care of things my way. Yeah, it's sort of a heartbreak and it causes stress, but I I like to do it my way. I don't want to fight. I don't want to fight anymore, man. I fought a lot in my life. I don't want to fight anymore forever. I don't. I don't want any troubles. You know, I mean, Whatever situation develops now, instead of panicking like I used to and punching walls and blah, 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 foaming through the mouth, I don't do this anymore. What do you do? I can't. I can't because, you know. Yeah. Ah, oh, there you go. Think about this. Just think about this. That's the answer. Because if I get a little excited, man, my year is going to go nuts. All right. And so anyway, um, <clears throat> what happens to people a lot is – they get out of focus. Well, they don't have focus. And when they, they begin, they begin to, to do something that they are, have the talent to do it. It's, it's sad for me to see people that have so much talent to do certain things and they blow it. Like, you see it all the time. The hell, man. Well, you know, I guess it's a, it is an inner thing. It's, a, you know, I guess the fact that I, the fact that I grew up in in a in a church that helped me because that's the only real support I ever had, you know, emotional, psychological. So I didn't drink, I didn't smoke, I don't drink caffeine. You know, the other thing with caffeine is it excites the nerves. Oh, it would kill you. So kill that's you. why yeah. I don't no coffee. <clears throat> you asked me earlier, yeah. you know, I mean, I've I've had a I have a lot of friends in Italy. And, you know, in Italy, they drink coffee. Oh, not, yeah. It's not like America. It's 10 times as strong. And it's, <laughs> bam, you know. 
I did it once, man, because they insisted. <laughs> man, I got a vertigo out of control, man. So Meniere's is uh, in you always, kind of. Yeah, and it was just a matter always. of time. Right. Mm-hmm. My God. But anyway, so uh, um, I guess what, it, what happens to people is, I don't know if it's like we have people at Roberts right now that, you know, I love them. They're very talented, man. I'm not going to mention names, but they should be further than where they are. That's very real. But, you know, they want to drink, man. They want to be up there on stage <laughs> sipping on whiskey all night. And They're probably working on the curves, you know, and that's what's going on. But anyway, there are people at Roberts right now that, you know, it's not my business. Like I said, I'm not judging anybody. Do whatever you want. But, you know, I mean, if you get drunk up on stage, man, I get, I know you're singing traditional country music, outlaw movement, yada, 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 yada. But, you know, you don't have, you don't have to. You can if you want. You don't have to cover yourself in tattoos. And mm. You don't have to cover yourself in liquor. Yep. You don't have to cover yourself in drugs. Mm. And and then you have a bad attitude and you don't want to treat people like deserve to be treated. Mm. Blah, 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 blah. Those things, you know, one or two or all of these things mm. combined mm. begin to tell something about your character. Mm. In my opinion, mm-hmm. see you. You don't think that when you we're going through that, you know. But it, but you begin to form your character, and uh, to me, it's very important to have a clean character. What is a clean character? Well, uh, uh, just a again, again, sure. not judging anybody. Of course, it's just me. Of course, it has worked for me mm-hmm. to be kind. Yes, sir. It has worked for me to be, you know, long suffering. It has worked for me not to drink. It has worked for me not to smoke. It has worked for me not to use drugs. It has worked for me, you know, if people out there say, well, I do this because of that and because my life is... I have plenty of problems, man. We all do. I have plenty of reasons to do it too. I just decided not to. To me, doesn't make you better than anybody. It just makes you yourself. Ah, you know. I do. And it's uh, I'm going to, are we just about there, you think? Sure, absolutely. I'm going to tell them, just give us another 10 minutes, man, you know. We could wrap up. Okay, but anyway, so it just just worked for me. You know, I mean, there's nothing wrong, man. I love people. It doesn't matter if you use drugs, if you, whatever you do. You know, I want to, I love everybody, you know. It's not about what you do. It's, It's not about your color or 
religion or your preferences. To me, it doesn't matter at all. Mm. Everyone should be who, whoever they feel they want to be. As long as you're not committing crime, mm. as long as you're not killing anyone, mm. as long as you're not a jerk, and as long as you're not a thief or a liar. Now, those things, those things to me are like, uh-uh. Yeah, you can't do those. But outside of that, you know, loving someone because their preferences, is, is, we should be that way. Yeah. And it's not up to us to judge anybody. And if something bothers you, you talk to the person about it, you know? So, you know, I mean, just, you don't have to do it around me. I mean, you know, just do it. It's all cool, man. No problem. You know, this is how I always approach it. Wow. We're family. You know, one thing that I used to do was like, why are you doing this to me, man? And they were like, well, doing to you? I mean, you're doing this, you're doing it to me, you're doing to my house, you're doing to our family. Wow. I never thought of that. Never thought of it that way. That's actually a great perspective is to realize your actions affect everyone in your community. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes, my man. So, you know, that's it. It's like I've had plenty of reasons to do all kinds of things, but I chose not to, you know, and I'm glad that I didn't, mainly not with Meniere's, so, because those things will agitate this big time. Yeah, I bet. And, uh, but anyway, so that's it, man. You just have to, you have to work hard. You have to eventually focus yourself and not allow these things, these dramas, these right. out-of-focus things to, deter you. to stop you from reaching the goal there. And that's what happens a lot. You know, I mean, buddies, my buddies, hey, listen, Robert's Western World just sponsored the Outlaw Cruise. Yeah, I saw you know, that. I was on a ship, man, and I have Meniere's disease, for Christ's sake. Jeez. That was hard for me, man. I bet. I was in a rough waters, you know, and rough waters, and I mean, and I have Meniere's, but I bit the bullet, and I went. And God was great that the sea wasn't so rough, mm-hmm. and I was able to focus, and I was able to stay there. But you see, the whole point I'm making is I support the outlaw movement. I'm a huge fan of Waylon and... Willie and, you know, Christopherson, man, Jesus. But the whole point is, I don't live like that. I'm not that. But I, I'm in the middle of it. I love it, man. I love being there. But you, you can be there, but you don't have to be part of it. Mm. If it's something that it was really not, you know, something that you need to do, then don't do it. Stay they, honest They're yourself. not going to force you. Right. You know, I, wow. can, I can hang out with Willie and... And Chris and Waylon, if that was the case, and say, no, boys, go, you go ahead, do your thing. You know, I'm here to write with y'all. I could do that. Focus. See what I'm saying? I Very much so. But, you know, it's not everybody that's going to be a Willie. Not everybody's going to be a Waylon because those guys, yes, they were outlaws. Well, they were not outlaws. They call them outlaws because they were not doing what Nashville wanted them right. to do. They're not outlaws. No, not in a real way. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So a lot of people don't understand that. Oh, the outlaw movement. What are you doing over there? You know, is everybody doped up and carrying guns? It's like, Jesus, man, you're crazy. Like, no. No. <laughs> no. Yeah, maybe they're doped up, but it doesn't matter. Not really. I love the music. I'm here for the music. Man. Yeah. I'm here because these people are my friends. They're my brothers and sisters, man. They help. And maybe for some, it helps them inspire some of the music. Exactly. For them, at the time they were doing that, it was perfect. It was for the music, yeah. And it, it became a movement. And 
Yeah. The rest is history. But here we are today. We love these guys. Doesn't mean you have to be a mean dude yeah. and, you know, walk around with a certain style of whatever so people can notice you. Jesus, man, come on. Mm. Well, if that's really who you are, then I'll part of you. But right. You have to... You also got to be able to back it up. Like, you would come and play Brazil Billy and you would be wearing your thing, but right. you'd pull up in Ruby Ann, which mm-hmm. is... Uh, is that a Cadillac? Mm-hmm. You'd pull up and you'd park it right out front and you'd come out doing your thing and you could back it up. Right. That's what matters. Mm-hmm. Yes, sir. But, but that's why I say on stage, I say on stage a lot, this is who we are, people. You did say that. Yes. I say to the people that come to Roberts and the place is packed and I'll say, welcome to Honky Tonk 101. Yes. Have you ever been to a honky tonk? Some people would raise their hands. Okay, this is a honky tonk. (laughs) Here's what the difference is between Roberts and everybody up and down the street. And you're all right with that. We are a honky tonk. These places are bars. So you're all right if that means making less money and, and having less popularity. Roberts could make endlessly more money if I was to follow on some of my neighbor's footsteps. I'm aware of that. Oh, yeah. No, man, it's never been about the money. Good for you. That's beautiful. Some money I came here for. I'm living my dream, man. We're literally in Jesse Lee Jones' world right now. No. We're in your like Willy Wonka world. Mm-hmm. Man, thanks for inviting me in. This is my cave, man. This is beautiful. Oh, me and my girls. There's a lot of Cadillacs in here. And mm-hmm. a lot of custom license plates. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. God, they're, you know, my, my, they're my honky-tonk girls. Oh, I love they them. all drink a lot. Yeah. They're all <laughs> temperamental. <laughs> they're all, you know, they're all uh, high maintenance. Right. Yeah, these girls are something else. But they don't talk bad. Right. And me, they, they're okay living with each other. Dang. Yeah. That's fair. It's a good deal. They're just a little pricey, I'm assuming. Probably <laughs> yeah. cost a little much. But you know, when you don't have a family, when you don't have kids, when you don't right. don't smoke, you don't drink, you don't, you know what I'm saying? This is the only thing I do. Guns and cars. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. More cars than guns. Good. Yeah, that's probably a little better. Mm-hmm. But thank you for having me. This yeah, was man. an honor. Thanks for the time. If you're ever going to Nashville, Tennessee, you got to go to Roberts Western World. It's It's a magical place. In a city that's experiencing a lot of cultural change and upheaval of roots, which which can be good financially and can be good for the brand of Music City, there is a really important tenure that Roberts brings to the culture of country music, brings to Americana music, and brings to Nashville. And I will be forever grateful for the serendipity of discovering that venue and uh, for the not-so-serendipitous, unbelievably kind-natured people that operate within it, the musicians, the players... The, the the bar staff and then most importantly Mr. Jesse Lee Jones uh, so crucial to my life and it is still moving forward even as we reopen uh, I've been playing back at Roberts as we discover new songs for the Cosmic Country Covers record and and, and, and getting back into that honky tonk state of mind so y'all stay tuned for the Cosmic Country rec- Cosmic Country Covers record uh, y'all subscribe to the podcast leave five stars leave a comment leave a review support, support us on Patreon follow us on YouTube Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, all the places. And most importantly, y'all stay positive, stay patient, stay persistent, and stay cosmic.